again. Um, I would like to uh, thank the leadership of Kawata Baptist Church for the opportunity given to me to share God's word during this uh, period of Easter. I would want uh, to ask us to turn to the scriptures and look at the book of Luke. Not Luke Chirwa. <laughs> the book of Luke and chapter 24. We will read from verse 13 up to verse uh, 30, uh, 35. If you are there, the Bible reads, And behold, on the very day two of them were going to a village near Amos, which was six stadia from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other about all these things, Sorry, they were talking to each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words? that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking. And they came to a stop, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem who does not know about the things that happened here in these days and he said to them what sort of things and they said to him those about Jesus the Nazarene who proved to be a prophet mighty in deeds and word in the sight of God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucify him. But we are hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is now three days, it is now the third day since this uh, happened. But also, some women among us left us bewildered when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came and saying that they had also seen a vision of angel, which, sorry, angels who uh, said that he was alive. And so some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And then he said to them, You foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophet have spoken. Was it not necessary 
for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into the to come to his into his glory then uh, then uh, sorry verse 27 then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures and they approached the, as they and as they approached the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going a further and so they strongly urged him saying stay with us for it is getting towards evening and the day is now nearly over so he went in to stay with them and it came about when he had reclined at the table when he had reclined at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it he broke it and began giving uh, it to them and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight they said to one another, were hearts not burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us, and they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen. And as appeared to Simon, they began to relate their experience on the, in, on the road and how he was recognized by them at the breaking, at the breaking of bread. Uh, shall we pray? Our dear Master and gracious Lord, Father, we again give thanks to you for this day that you've given to us particularly as we come to the study of your word, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will guide and lead us. We ask, O oh Lord, that through the feeble words of your servant, you will exhort, encourage, and rebuke your people so that this might improve our Christian lives. And above all, that we may be exhorted to, to do good works for your honor and for your glory through the worthy name of your son our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we pray Amen uh, we look, As we look at this passage of scripture I have entitled my message this morning The Troubled Heart and a Joyful hope. Have you ever been in a situation where you have had great expectations? Speaking from the old school, we are not easily knowing the sex of the baby until it comes out. And then you are expecting a girl. You go to the hospital, behold, it's a boy. 
And when you are, ah, congratulations. What section of the start of the baby? Ah, it's a girl or it's a boy. Or you've been pounding very hard at grade 12, aiming to get six points, only to get 16 points. And then you are being asked, how were your results? Yeah, I just got 16 points. Friends and brethren, it is not that God was somehow lacking in the way you hoped to have things come to happen. If you are expecting something in a wrong way, you can even be disappointed by God. But oftentimes, because of our limited perspective, we feel as if God has let us down. And this is exactly what we see these two weary men who were walking seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus on the Sunday, the first day of the week. They had been hoping that Jesus Christ, as he promised, as a Messiah, would redeem Israel, but only to end up, as it were, him being crucified we see that in verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Friends and brethren, these people, in their hopes, they had actually been expecting the Messiah to redeem them politically, but the Jewish leaders conspiring with the Romans dashed their hopes by crucifying one who they expected to be their savior as it were. They are going home dejected and disappointed and they were still in shock. They did not understand why God had apparently let them down. Friends, what we have before us is something which is close to us home. God will turn our troubled heart to hope if with his people we will seek the risen Savior through faith in his word. Allow me to bring to you two uh, things or two subheading as we look at the troubled heart and a joyful hope. And the first thing we see from this text is what I'm calling the universal seasons of disappointment with God. If you are truly sincere, you at one time has actually felt disappointed with God. 
Because you had high hopes and you prayed and things did not come the way you expected. You may not say it, but you became disappointed. And then secondly, we see the need for cordial fellowship with those of kindred mind. And that is very critical. We need each other rather than working in isolation when we feel dejected and disappointed. The first point, therefore, the universal seasons of disappointment with God. It is just by God's design that when we hit the rock bottom, we all at one time or another are faced as it were with disappointment and this we actually address it to God. Just like a good doctor does with a diagnosis before they give you medicine, the Lord Jesus Christ asks some questions to draw the source of their spiritual disappointment. And out of many sources of disappointment, allow me to give you selected few, and here I have, as it were, about four of them, or five. The first one we see here, as we look at why people may be disappointed, it is when their expectations fail to meet God's expectations. We may be disappointed with God because our expectations do not match his sovereign purpose. Friends and brethren, God is sovereign. He does as he pleases. And he is always right when results come not the way we expected them. The Twice on our text, he emphasizes that God's decreed the death of Jesus Christ. The risen Savior tells these two men that it was necessary that he suffers and dies in verse 26. The angel reminded the women at the tomb early as he predicted that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Luke wants us to know that God is in charge of history, moving it along according to his sovereign purpose. And this especially is true of the great tragedy in history. The crucifixion of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ by sinful men. It was actually according to God's pre-planned purpose. Although it was the worst crime that could ever be committed... And that men who did it were responsible for their wicked deeds. God is sovereignly ordained it. I think we see this in the book of 
uh, Acts chapter 24 verse 7 and Acts chapter 2 verse 23. And in 23 we are told, you with the wicked men, you actually put to death the prince of life. And also you see it in Acts chapter 4 verse 27 to 28. It did not thwart God's plan. It actually instead fulfilled his plan. The Bible makes it clear that sin is part of God's sovereign plan or decree. But at the same time, God is a part of all or apart from all sins and not responsible for it. If the worst sin ever, the death of Christ, was a part of God's sovereign plan, so it was apart from God's sovereign plan, then sin can thwart God's purpose. And this truth brings, as it were, as it were, the great comfort uh, as we actually uh, read it here. There is nothing like untimely death in the plan of God. I think we meet a lot of this saying, especially at the funeral, when we have lost a beloved one. We will be there being comforted, or even when we know how wicked the man was, oh, he is in the better place. We are sorry for this untimely death. No! To God, that is the time, no matter how gruesome the man or the woman or the baby might die. That was their time. God owes no man a living. He is the one who has a purpose for all that he has created. And therefore, when it is time, hard as it sounds as I said to you, that is God's timing. Brethren, God works all things after his own counsel of his will, as we see it in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. Even the blasphemers of the wicked Antichrist, they fit in God's sovereign purpose. But still, it is hard when we have prayed and hoped for something better that actually we thought God was God's will, but then it does not happen the way we want it to happen. These men had prayed, and they hoped that Christ Jesus the Messiah would redeem Israel. No doubt they were thinking about the political redemption. These of Israel who were under the Roman colony or colonization. But that was not God's will for his son at that time. When our expectations do not match God's sovereign purpose, we will have to wrestle with disappointment with God. I think that's the first thing I want us to appreciate on the first point. Secondly, when God closes our eyes from seeing Jesus, 
We may be disappointed with God because he has closed our eyes from seeing the truth about Christ. Again, this seems like this seems unlike God. Is it not as it were his kind will that his people have assurance and comfort and hope? Why then would God shut their eyes from seeing the risen Savior? The answer is this. Because he has better reasons and frequent as it were. Better reasons and also a better time. God also closed the, closed the disciples' minds so that they could not understand the, the reference to the cross. At many times when Christ would talk about the Son of Man will suffer, he will actually be handed over to the wicked men and be crucified. While they had, they did not process it as something which will happen. And here it comes as a shock. Why? God chose at this time to actually close, as it were, their eyes to see this reality. God knows that it was best for them to go through the despair and confusion of the cross before they come into the full light of the resurrection. And so, he closed their minds from grasping the plain statement about Jesus' death. Even so, God knows what is best for us. And so, he sometimes closes our minds to the plain teaching of the scriptures for a time. So, why does he do that? So that we will learn a lesson that we never would have actually learned if God caused us to understand at that particular time. C.S. Pigeon says this, and I quote, He points out that we are all born by nature as Armenians and that God must open our eyes to the glorious truths of his sovereign grace. And that is the point here, friends and brethren. Sometimes we can experience disappointment with God because he has closed our eyes to the truth and because he has actually a deeper lesson to teach us later. And this is the reason why, friends and brethren, prayer is important. We are knocking at the door of God to open, as it were, our eyes, to illumine our minds. We are not just going to dive in like spoiled children when food is served at the table without praying. They are busy <laughs> attacking the food. No! When God closes eyes, from seeing Christ. It is for a purpose and it is for a time. And this, I think, is very, very true. I became born again in grade 7 
1984, thereabout. And the man who led me to the Savior was my uncle. He used to drink and do all sorts of things, but his change was drastic. He actually did what the people from here would say, Vonsenina Chifukwa Cha Yesu. We would test him, buy him cigarettes, give him, as it were, of money for a, a, a bottle, is it the packet of shekshek? He would just tell my, my mother, buy bread for the children. Now, we were doing that out of blindness. It was not until after a month or so, when he got paid and out of the larger chunk of his, he bought Christian literature, that scared me. This man has seen what he's telling us. I began to seek this Lord. To cut the long story short, he went to visit his mother, who is my grandmother at the village. Three months later, we heard he's dead. And I really was disappointed with God. How could a good person, he was bad and now he's a good man. Three months, he's gone. It was not until I was exposed to the doctrines of grace, sovereignty of God, providence, I learned that God saved that man for this man to be standing before you today and be able to be doing what he's doing. At that time, my eyes were close to truth and reality. But now, I understand it better. Thirdly, when we foolishly, we focus on part and not the whole truth. We may actually be disappointed with God because we have foolishly focused on part of his word, but only, but not the whole. The disciples were all quick to focus on the glories of Christ's kingdom, but they were slow to grasp the suffering that actually proceeds with the glory. Friends and brethren, through tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. That is also a gift given to us in this package. We will suffer. We will go through tribulations. In verse 26, we are told there, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? They often thought, as it were, won't it be a great a thing when we are actually all there reigning with the master and the death of the Messiah as sacrifice comes to them as a shock. Friends and brethren, they thought rightly that Christ would redeem Israel, but they didn't understand that their redemption will come with this thorn of crown of thorns and death. He tells them in verse 25 and 27, he says, notice the emphasis on all. They were foolishly, as it were, uh, taken up. And we read there, to believe in all that the prophet had spoken, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. 
he explained to them things concerning himself. In all the scriptures, therefore it was focusing on just part of the truth. And I think this is one of the problems of most of the Christians today. They just focus on the love of God and all that goes with it. When affliction comes, they begin cursing. We are often disappointed with God for the same reasons. We like all the promise about good stuff that God will do for us his, as his children. But what about the promise which Timoth tells us, 2 Timoth 3 and 12? And indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What about that? Not only persecuted, they'll actually fall sick. They'll be ill. Hmm? Even children of God, they fall sick and terribly sick with incurable disease. Do you have that one in your heart, promise or that promise box about Hebrews 12, which promises discipline for all of God's children who are truly his children? What about the many references to struggles and warfares of the Christian walk. If we only focus on the part of God's word, we will be disappointed when trials come hitting and crashing us down as surely as he does. Fourthly, it's when we are slow of heart to believe. And this usually comes with those who are not paying attention to the word when it is being preached. They are busy surfing, busy chuckling, or bought a bed in church. Before you even open to the scripture, they are already gone. And when trouble comes, tribulation comes, because they miss on the blessings of the word, they curse God. It is with the heart that we believe in Christ unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And I think... That these men had believed in Christ unto salvation. They are described as two men in 13 and 13. And that is two followers of Christ. But Jesus rebukes them for their slow of heart to believe in all that the prophet had spoken Friends and brethren, you cannot be apt to the word of God if you are irregular to the means of grace and particularly to where the word of God is being preached or taught. You can't. 
I'm not going to mention the name of the young girl. She's almost been to Che to school, uh, almost uh, one and she's she, she she's been absent from school for almost one and a half a month. And then she's actually pushing the mother to transfer her to another school, or they shift from this community, they go to another community. So I was asking you, uh, is the school a good school? Because that's where my children were. Some of them got six points. Uh, no, it's a very good school. Maybe the teachers are actually molesting you. No, 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 they are not molesting me. It's only that I'm not, I haven't been doing very well. Then I said, how many times have you been to school? And how many times have you been absent? She said, I've been absent for almost but one and a half a month. Then I say, do you think you can do better than those who have been there from January up to date? And that is the same with the Christian faith. You cannot be as it were scripturally intelligent compared to the one who is always where the Bible study is being read the preaching of God's word is being uh, delivered, and they have, besides that, their personal time of study God's word. They make themselves intelligible in the things of the gospel motives. You are not there. I think this is a rebuke to those older Christians and who are men. As Reformed Baptists, the resource of men who are to be leaders is from you men. And if you are lazy, slow as it were to get these things, you are robbing the church of the much needed resources. Does this explain why most of the mission fields, we are still struggling to have elders, to just of this and that. Is it a reason? When men are there? Oh. The writer to the Hebrews expresses disgust about men who are still babes. That's a story for another time. Friends and brethren, if these then are some of the causes of disappointment with God, what is the cure? This leads me to the second point. We need, there is need for cordial fellowship with those of kindred mind. Mark that term. I'm not talking about your power at work or at school. Kindred mind in the face. When we are disappointed with God... We need to join with his people in seeking the risen Savior through faith in his word. And I would like to propose at least seven, then we'll be home and dry. The first point I want to propose is seeking joint fellowship with the saints. These two men... We are walking to Emmaus alone. But together, talking about things that had transpired. And as soon as they realize that they are, un, they, they are unident, un, their unidentified guest joins them and is the Lord, 
Even then it was it was late the two had actually to walk together with him and they kept on talking and discussing. They went immediately to share what they had or what had happened with the disciples when he had left them. They did not keep to themselves. Friends and brethren, good news deserves telling. We cannot keep it to ourselves like the way we used to do it in grade 7 because you want to come and beat everybody to come out number one. No! This race is a marathon. It's not a sprinting race. And to their great delight and astonishment, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared again to the whole group where they went to tell the disciples. But Thomas was not there, though he joined them later on. The point is this. It was when they were together talking about the things of the Lord that the Lord himself appears to them. While the Lord appeared to Peter when he was alone in chapter 24 and verse 34, to restore him, he did not appear to Thomas when he was alone, but only when he later joined the disciples. Friends and brethren, you cannot follow the Lord as he intended unless you do it in a fellowship with other believers. That's why the church is called the body. Nobody is actually just the arm. And nobody is just the eyelash. Even if it is the eyelash, even if our sisters try to beautify themselves by removing them, don't get surprised when you begin having eye infections. Eh? They prevent infections. Important, they are part of the body. We need each and every organ in this organism called Christianity. This gets at those of us who are antisocial, friends and brethren. There is nothing like a lone ranger Christian. We need each other to exhort, encourage, and rebuke one another. Secondly, by seeking personal relationship with the risen Savior. While these two and other disciples were at fault, for not believing the report of the women concerning the resurrection, at, at least they were right in not being satisfied only with the empty tomb. They say, as it were, with disappointment, him they did not see. And that's what we see in verse 24. Friends and brethren, they wanted to see the risen Savior. It was, see, it was seeing him that actually turned them, 
these disciples disappointed. They did not see him and they felt disappointed. I am not, friends and brethren, suggesting that seeing Jesus in some vision of some dramatic experience is what we are looking for here. I believe that most who claim to have had a vision of Christ Jesus have actually an illusion. It's a self-deception. Peter commends those who loved and believed in Christ Jesus when though they had never seen him in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. We know that Christ as a savior should seek to sorry we know he knows that Christ, that Christ as a savior should seek to know him personally and even more and more as we see the Philippians aged in chapter 3 and verse 10. He has promised to disclose himself to those who keep his command, not in a visual way, but spiritually as we see it in James chapter 14 and verse 21. Where we do seek him, where do we seek the Lord, friends and brethren? This leads me to the third point. We seek the risen Lord in his word. Can you see how the word is featuring? The members of God, that saying I said in the morning, where the hammer is hammering, there is weakness. Literally translated from my mother language. Academic learning without faith is not enough. And that is very important. We must believe the word and act upon it as true. The writer to the Hebrews tells us about Israel under Moses. They had seen God's mighty works, but they grumbled and they did not believe God. And so he did not allow them to enter the promised rest. Then he warned them, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in among one of you an evil and believing heart in falling away from the living God. Hebrews chapter uh, 3 and verse 12. We sometimes wave off unbelief as if it were a big deal. But God connects the word evil and unbelief to disbelieve God is to malign God himself. We must confess our unbelief and seek to believe his unfailing word of truth. Even if we feel hate, we must still come to the point that God is right. Like Job, though he slays me, yet I will trust him. Not only should we seek the risen Savior uh, through his word, I mean, through his, through his, his faith. 
we must seek him as it were i think i transpose through his word and there we are told jesus took the men to the old testament he talked to them about moses and the prophet in chapter 24 and verse 7 verse 27 he actually took them as it were to talk about the substitutionary death on which he himself was to bear their sin as the sacrificial lamp. He took them again as it were to see Adam and Eve after they had sinned and what misery had come after their disobedience to God. And he took them, I must believe, to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. How the seed of a woman shall actually bring emancipation to the, to the, to the, to the children of God by actually uh, uh, stamping the head of a serpent. He explained how the ram caught in the thicket that God crushed the serpent got in the secret and provided the, uh, provided to Isaac an alternative lamb so that he be saved. I'm sure I also spoke to them about the Passover lamb and the sacrificial system that God instituted. Friends and brethren, the other point we see is that we must be ready to be taught when rebuked. I must confess one of the things which brought confusion and dust is it two, three years ago when you talk about the brethren who, have, who feel most hate, they are not able to even explain to you three things about it. When you say, ah, now explain to me what this new Calvinism is all about. They are not able to explain you give them time to come next time, they still cannot give you one explanation. Jesus rebukes these two men and yet shortly invites him into their home to hear more. And that's the right way to respond to the rebuke. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. What's the next? For reproof, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? So that a man of God is thoroughly equipped for good works. When Paul exhorted Timothy to preach the word, he told him that the way to do it was to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with great patience and instruction. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. So, many in our days may actually have their ears tickled by the teachers in accordance with their own desires. And this is what the papas of today are giving. I gave a lift to one of the girls who was going to the mountain. Then I, for interest, said, what is happening at the mountain? Oh, that I'm going for prayers. When I dropped her, before she came out, she learned that I'm a pastor. So she said, ah, papa, could you say a blessing in my life? 
So then I said, may the Lord make you see the reality of the gospel and make you have the true and living fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Does that make... Oh, amen! She was expecting to be given what she wants. God will prosper you. He will give you a beautiful husband. You are going to have no, no, no sickness. We will visit you. That's what they are looking for. But if we want to grow closer to the Lord, who is holy, we must have the teachable heart when his word says, Oh, foolish ones and slow, to, slow, slow of heart to believe. He is basically seeking to address that aspect. Friends and brethren, when there is a controversy, don't take a stance before you actually prove it with scripture. No, everybody is actually saying this. But is it in the Bible? Well, they, they seem to have a point. Where is the point? I will come and tell you next week. The next point we have besides us making sure that we have a teachable spirit, we need to plead with the Lord to stay with us. After this wonderful discussion on the road to Emmaus, Jesus acted as if he was keeping on going beyond their village, but they, pre they, they actually prevailed over him to stay. And they, there, they actually had a night with him at their home. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ area on questioned in chapter 24, verse 17 and 19, where, for instance, of drawing these people out in order to teach them, it's not that he was ignorant about the question he raised. When Christ asks the question, he's just trying to draw our attention and call us to order. It's not that he's ignorant and is seeking uh, an explanation from us. No. They invited him in and he accepted their offer. He was always coming into their hearts and homes where he actually was invited. But notice this, my dear friends and brethren. Although he entered their home as a guest, he quickly took on the role of the host and as it were, owner of the house. And that's what you must be ready for. When Christ takes over in your house, don't get surprised. He isn't a polite dinner guest. He is going to take over your home. And that's the point. That's what it means to submit to the Lordship of Christ. You cannot have the Lord in your life and then you are in control of it now the seventh point is that when spiritually deflated go on in faith in the word and in fellowship with other believers no sooner did they actually this man recognize the Lord Jesus Christ than he vanished from their sight. They didn't even have time to ask any question. Where has he gone? No. 
Jesus wanted them to know that he is alive. But also he wanted them to know that he would not, they would not experience him physically in his presence as they did formerly. He would now go to the Father and send the Spirit to be with them permanently. As soon as Jesus Christ vanished, these men could have actually become dejected and disappointed. But no, what have we been taught? They were joyous. They were happy as they shared this news among them. And as they shared it among the people of the world. And that is basically what Christ does when he comes in a heart that is despondent and discouraged. He leaves a joyful hope. The spiritual heights are a wonderful thing. But you cannot live on them forever. You must learn to walk by faith. To be consistent in the word. And to gather regularly with other believers. To build one another in the things of God. If there is a dispute, the way you test yourself whether you are in the right place or position, ask yourself how much progress you've made in the things of God. Have you been winning souls amid this, this conflict? Are you cancelling anybody? In the next one week, how many people have you spoken to? If you are not, just know that there is something wrong with your position. We must conclude, friends and brethren. These discouragement and despondent men thought that Jesus was dead and gone. When in fact, he was the one walking and talking with them as they trekked along the dusty road. He was near them even though they did not recognize him at first. When you are disappointed and discouraged, you may think that the Lord is a million miles away. But if you are one in the, one of his flock, even though you may be as it were faithless, do, you, do not see him. He is actually there with you. He is actually promised us that he will actually not desert us nor will he ever forsake us, nor will he leave us. That must encourage us, even when we feel we have been abandoned. Remember, it was to the church that had grown lukewarm at Laodicea that the Lord Jesus Christ said these words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if one hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus wants you to open his word and invite him as it were to make his word burn in your heart. He will actually turn your disappointment into joyful hope if you will entreat him to enter in and stay with you. This, friends and brethren, is what we actually close with in this Easter period as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we are taught how to cope 
with disappointments in hope. May God add a blessing to his word. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal and most blessed God, Father, we are grateful for this day. And we also are thankful for the way in which you continue encouraging us amidst these times of affliction, the times of trouble and tribulation. We are amazed that your promise still remains that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, make these words burn in our hearts when we feel discouraged. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.